Margaret Fox was last seen boarding a bus to meet with a stranger she had hoped to babysit for. More than four decades later, the FBI still are baffled by her disappearance. But in 2019, authorities released audio evidence in hopes that it could be the key to cracking the unsolved mystery abduction of Margaret Ellen Fox. It was the summer of 1974 in Burlington, New Jersey. School was out for the summer. 14-year-old Margaret Ellen Fox and her cousin Lynn Park racked their brains in hopes of coming up with the perfect idea to make some money over vacation. Both girls were excited. It would be their very first opportunity to earn their very own money to spend any way they choose. The plan was decided. They babysit. On June 18th, the girls posted an ad in the local paper. Babysitters experienced teen girls, love kids, work at your home. Followed up with each girl's phone numbers. The next morning, a man identifying himself as John Marshall called the park home. He stated he and his wife needed a sitter for their five-year-old son in their Mount Holly home. The offer was $40 a week, which is about $200 currently. Although Lynn was thrilled with the offer of $40 a week, her parents didn't give her permission to take the job because it was out of town and they didn't know Mr. Marshall. John tried again, this time calling Margaret's number, and unlike Lynn, Margaret's parents reluctantly gave their permission. Margaret was asked to start that weekend, but not long after the date was set, Marshall called to reschedule the following Monday, which was June 24th, due to the death of a family member. The big day finally arrived. Margaret got herself ready and wrote a note for her parents. Margaret and her younger brother walked to the bus stop at the intersection of High and West Broad Street, which wasn't far from her home. Her brother saw her get on the bus, and that was the last confirmed sighting of Margaret by someone who knew her. Once she reached Mount Holly, Margaret's instructions were to get off the bus and make her way to the corner of High and Mill Street to meet John Marshall's wife. She would be driving a red Volkswagen. From that point, the plan was for Mrs. Marshall to drive her to the Marshall household, introduce her to her son, and have her home by 2.30 at the latest. Margaret was also supposed to call home, which she made it when she made it to the Marshall's residence, but that call never came. One may have assumed Margaret simply got caught up with the excitement of her new job and forgot that one important detail. But once 2.30 came and went, and Margaret hadn't arrived home, things started to unravel. The family began to worry. At about 
3.30, Margaret's mother decided to call John Marshall's phone number, only to be told by the person on the other end that there was no one by the name of Margaret Fox or John Marshall present. Confused by this information, Mrs. Fox called again, and this time was told she had been calling a supermarket payphone. At this point, panic set in. Margaret's mother began frantically calling anyone with the last name Marshall in the Mount Holly area while Margaret's father drove there to do a ground search. Incidentally, for years after Margaret's disappearance, her father would drive around for hours all over South Jersey with his daughter's picture plastered all over his car with a bullhorn asking for help in locating his little girl. After coming up empty, the family called the police. For the sake of the investigation, all possibilities needed to be explored. When teenagers go missing, the first question is, did they simply just run away? But according to the Fox family, Margaret had no reason. And although she was shy and was bullied in the past, she was very well adjusted and had a great relationship with her family. And as far as her family knew, she hadn't started dating, so it seemed unlikely that she would run off with someone. The next question was, did she even make it to Mount Holly? Now keeping in mind that her brother watched her board the bus with his own eyes. So it's pretty obvious that she made it there because there were no stops in between. Police questioned some residents near High and Mill Street, where Margaret was supposed to have disembarked, and several of them remember seeing a girl fitting her description get off the bus around the time Margaret was to arrive. Additionally, a woman that rode the bus along with Margaret said she remembered talking to her after her son pulled her hair. Another passenger thought he saw Margaret get off the bus at Mill and High Street, which was the stop Margaret was supposed to meet John Marshall's wife. He was also pretty sure he saw her talking to a man in a red sports car. A few others also saw a girl that matched Margaret's description at the intersection. With that said, there's no denying John Marshall, or whoever he was, was most likely responsible for Margaret's disappearance. But unfortunately, all they had on him was his fictitious name, and that from the sound of his voice, he seemed to be between 35 and 45 years old. And he may have been driving a red Volkswagen. Not much to go on. It was assumed that he was using a fake name, but by all accounts, the man was a phantom, a ghost of sorts. This is until June 28th, four days into Margaret's disappearance, the Fox household received a call from a man, and while he refused to identify himself, it seemed like it was none other than John Marshall. Mrs. Fox had picked up the phone, and this is what the person on the other end said. I'm going to play that again so you can hear it one more time since it was so short.
$10,000 might be a lot of bread, but your daughter's life is the buttered topping. The clip is brief, but nonetheless disturbing. The caller wanted $10,000 in ransom, which is the equivalent of $50,000 today. This message was reiterated again the following day when the Fox family received a ransom note in the mail that repeated what was said on the call and added that the $10,000 should be placed in a box with a blue ribbon. The letter was signed so long again, with the emphasis on the letters SLA. This was never actually confirmed, but between 73 and 75, there was a left-wing terrorist organization called the Sebanese Liberation Army, which is known by its acronym SLA. They're known for committing several crimes such as bank robberies, murders, and other acts of violence. They also abducted a young woman four months before Margaret went missing. Which made them internationally notorious because that 19-year-old girl that was abducted was the granddaughter of publishing magnate William Randolph Hearst, which is, you guessed it, Patty Hearst. Fingerprints were lifted from the letter, but no match was found. The family, of course, was willing to pay, but no clear method for delivering the money was outlined. On July 1st, just a couple days later, another letter arrived in the mailbox, and this time said that the deal was off and that the Fox family had, quote, goofed. But the most chilling thing about this letter is that it once again reiterated the line about the butter and the bread, but it was all in the past tense. $10,000 was a lot of bread, but your daughter's life was the buttered topping. From here, things seemed to go cold, aside from a small and very brief lead in 1975 involving an ex-con named Charles Cobridge of Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. In November that year, Charles confessed to kidnapping and killing Margaret Fox, but investigators quickly uncovered that this was impossible since Charles was in the hospital the day of Margaret's disappearance. As a result of all this, he was sentenced to three years in prison for his false claim. This aside, the authorities, as well as the Fox family, had absolutely nothing to go on. There were other reports of someone trying to lure girls to a fake babysitting job at the time. However, that too went nowhere. Their independent searches came up empty, and even with the FBI now involved, nothing seemed to be surfacing. All they had was one random ransom call, but investigate investigators couldn't even be sure if it was in fact the same person who answered Margaret's ad. 
Now keep in mind, Margaret's disappearance was already in the news and detectives were open to the possibility that it was either a prank or perhaps someone completely unrelated was looking to profit from this tragedy. Luckily, the call was recorded by investigators who anticipated this may happen, and although Mr. Fox had spoken to John Marshall directly, he was unable to confirm if he and the ransomer were the same person. There was another lead to quickly get dismissed because it was deemed to be more of an odd coincidence. Now remember, I mentioned a fake number John Marshall provided was from a payphone at a grocery store. While an officer on the case was quite familiar with this grocery store since his friend of 25 years worked there as a manager. And the friend's name was Jack Marshall. Naturally, this made everyone suspicious and Jack was brought in for questioning. He provided an alibi for the morning of Margaret's disappearance and took a polygraph and passed. He was quickly cleared. Jack was not only a longtime friend of an officer on the case, but interestingly enough, many other people in the town also vouched for his innocence, including Margaret's sister-in-law, who coincidentally was a friend of Jack Marshall's. There were no further leads. Four years later, a suspect emerged. He was a sex offender who lived near the bus stop where Margaret was supposed to have met John Marshall. Besides his criminal record and the fact that he lived close to the location Margaret went missing at the time of her disappearance, he drove a red car. He too had an airtight alibi for the morning of Margaret's disappearance and was cleared as a suspect as well. Years later, a retired officer of Willingborough launched his own investigation and spoke to two retired Burlington City detectives who worked the initial case. They came, they came up with another theory after reading her diary, which contained several passages about her being bullied. The thought was it may be possible Margaret disappeared to start a new life, but admitted it wouldn't have been it would have been difficult for a fourteen year old to start over in a different area and have no contact with family, which I have to agree that seems a little bit like you're reaching. Years passed and eventually decades. Things seemingly came to a standstill until two thousand nineteen, when on the anniversary of Margaret's disappearance the FBI decided to release the audio recording of a ransom call. Many people thought it bizarre that investigators didn't release the call when the case was still fresh, but according to them, it wasn't possible without modern technology used to enhance the audio. Who 
Margaret's disappearance was incredibly hard on her family. Her father David said the early mornings and the late nights were the hardest because that's when it was the quietest. Sadly, both he and his wife Mary passed away after years of anguish, helplessness, and sadness without ever knowing what happened to Margaret. To date, there's been no trace of Margaret Fox. Most think she was murdered. The FBI is currently offering a reward of $25,000 for the information leading to an arrest in the disappearance of Margaret Ellen Fox. It's difficult to say if this is too little, too late at this point, or if the recording even matters at all. Remember, it's unclear if this was nothing more than a hoax, but regardless, the FBI has placed enough stock in the call to make it public and offer a reward to anyone that may be able to provide information. The release was accompanied by an age progression photo to approximate what Margaret would look like today, which I'll post on social media and our webpage. Margaret's date of birth is February 4, 1960. At the time of her disappearance, she had brown hair, blue eyes with freckles, and stood 5'2", weighing 105 pounds. Two of Margaret's front right teeth on the top were missing. She wore glasses. She was last seen wearing jeans with a yellow patch on the knee and a blue or flowered blouse. I'm not sure which it is because there are reports of both. A white and black checkered jacket and brown sandals. She was wearing a gold necklace with flowers and a blue stone and a gold charm bracelet with a blue stone. Margaret was carrying an eyeglass case with a huckleberry hound design on it. If you think you have any information that would help solve this case, please contact your local FBI office, the nearest American embassy, consulate, or call the Burlington City Police at 609-386-3300. So when I started reading about Margaret, the first thing I thought was, why did her parents give her permission to go to someone's house that they didn't know and ride a bus? I would have never even... Back then, if I was a mom, I would never have allowed that. The other thing was, when they realized that she wasn't home when she was supposed to be, why didn't they call the police before they made their calls and started doing their, you know, boots on the ground search in Mount Holly? If they'd called the police first they would have been able to get you know officers out there a lot sooner I guess there's a lot of shoulda coulda wouldas in every circumstance and they sure don't have a lot to go on because there's a lot of you know 
maybe or could have or sounded like circumstances. I mean, when they say that he sounded like he was between 35 and 45, it doesn't necessarily mean he was between 35 and 45. A lot of people have very young voices. And the other thing is, it makes me wonder if this was random or did this father, Margaret's dad, have a high-paying job and that's why they did the ransom call. It just, there's so many, there's so many questions that are probably never going to be answered. And especially on that, that group, I know it was kind of like a reach, but the SLA asking, you know, for ransom money when they um, kidnapped Patty Hearst. They also, you know, they did some really bad things. You know, that she's from a rich family. I don't know if Margaret was from a rich family. That's, you know, it kind of leaves it up in the air. So you don't really know. I mean, it, it sounds coincidental. It might not be coincidental. There just seems like there's so many different paths that this could take. And nobody really knows or probably never will. Unless somebody out there that's, you know reading and I know there's a lot of podcasts and a lot of YouTube videos on Margaret. I just really, really wish there was somebody out there that knew something that would actually speak up. Like the retired officer that launched the investigation on his own time. I read an article and it allegedly said that well it said that Margaret's dental records were allegedly went missing and the agencies involved in that initial investigation, um, including the state and federal prosecutors, didn't share that information with anyone. Now, I don't know how true that is since it was never confirmed, but I mean, it doesn't sound like they have a lot to go on. Plus, the authorities had no DNA and very, very little physical evidence. And back in 1974, they didn't have the tools at their disposal like surveillance video and internet and social media like we do. Surveillance cameras were uncommon until the mid-70s, and basically they were only used in high crime areas to monitor the roads. Nowadays, they're basically on every corner, which is a good thing. So once again, if you think you have any information that would help solve this case, please contact your local FBI office or the nearest American embassy or consulate or call the Burlington City Police at 609-386-3300.